Good morning to you that are live here in the warehouse and those that are online, Facebook. Uh, we appreciate you joining us this morning, and we're excited to be able to be together as a family, right? We are a family if we are a part of the body of Christ, right? And we are all interconnected. So my name is Dave Short, and I'm on staff here, and it's just a, a, a blessing to be a part of this work that we were a part of it when it started eight years ago in a little house and formulated a strategy, and we didn't even have a name yet, but then they presented second place, and I thought, what? I don't want to be second. I want to win. And I go, well, I don't want to be second place. But then when they kind of like unfolded the whole idea behind being, the building being second to relationship with Christ and relationship with each other and family, making that the priority over the building itself and that being the church, because you're the church, right? And so anyhow, it's been a, an amazing eight years and come celebrate with us uh, tonight at five o'clock. It's going to be awesome. And there, there's going to be a lot of goodies back there to buy and coffee to drink. It'll be all good. So Joe, our lead pastor, has been on a series on grace and kind of walking us through forgiveness, forgiveness issues, tough, right? And trust, trusting in God, not trusting in your own abilities. And we're going to kind of, I think, bring that to, uh, we're going to continue that conversation uh, this morning by jumping to the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles uh, or your phones or whatever you want to queue up, the book of Revelation. We're going to go to chapter 3. John is the last disciple alive, and he's been sent to the Isle of Patmos, and he is imprisoned there. And in that circumstance, the Holy Spirit comes through Jesus to speak to John a revelation about Jesus to initially to the churches. So there's seven churches involved in these letters, and we're going to kind of zero in a little bit on the seventh church. He has a little bit to say specifically to each of the churches, but the seventh church is more, more about, kind of applies to all of us. It's kind of a culmination, and he zeroes in on something that I think is, is pretty, pretty important. And this letter in particular is, is a letter to self-sufficient Christians. Ever feel that way? Ever, ever go that direction? A little self-sufficiency? You know, you go a day and think, man, I didn't even pray. I didn't even lean, in God, lean into God one time today. I, I just kind of did it in my own strength. And it's, it's, it's hard, right, to get in a habit of daily dependence on God. And anyhow, here's a little clip from Pepsi that kind of can introduce the idea. We can turn down the lights. I'm good. Be honest here. I'm good. My bad. I'm good. I'm good. Ready? Go. Men can take anything. I'm good. Except the taste of Diet Cola. Until now. Pepsi Max, the first Diet Cola for men. <laughs> what is it? 
What is it about us human beings that we, our, our knee-jerk reaction is just say, I'm good. How you doing today, Dave? I'm good. I, I, today I was kind of testing a few people. I, they said, how you doing? I said, needy. I'm needy. And they kind of looked at me like, what? It's like you just don't hear that from people, right? People don't just say. They just, they, they're automatic. Is I'm good. And we have a tendency to do that. I mean, it's, it's tough, right? It's challenging to not be self-sufficient, but to be dependent, to be dependent on other people, on God. And, you know, it's crazy. You know, have you ever been challenged? You know, someone says, can I help you with that? No, no, I'm, I'm good. Can I help you with those groceries? No, no, I'm good. Can, like my wife will say, can I, can I help you with the instructions, uh, the directions, Dave? And, no, no, I'm, I, I'm good. I'm good. I, I can do it, right? I got this can-do attitude, the American independent, self-sufficient. I just got to try harder. We can do it. Can be a challenging aspect of our Christian walk, don't you think? Now, how many of you think you might need this message today? Okay. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you're, I'm good, right? I'm good. It is, not, it is not easy. It is difficult. It is hard. And especially, I think, the older in the faith that we get, you know, that we, oh, we've heard this, we've done that, okay, we, you know, I'm good. Don't challenge me, man. I'm, I'm good. You know, don't, I don't, don't make me, you know, go deeper in my faith and, sacrifice in areas that I'm not wanting to sacrifice. No, no I'm, I, I'm good. And a lot of young people look at the older people that say, I'm good, and they're kind of like, why should I serve this? This is passionless. This is purposeless. This is, they're just like going through the motions. And, and, and we have to carve out our own niche, right, in our relationship with the Lord. And I, I'm really, I, really, I really believe that until we can say sincerely in our heart um, that I'm in need, that I need you, I don't think we're going to really be able to grow. There's such an important aspect to the body of Christ and, and our dependence on one another. Just recently, and here's a, this picture here, sequoia trees. These redwoods, man, they are probably... 350 foot high, 300, 350 foot high, straight up. I was in California recently, and I was uh, a part of a, a group of Chinese business leaders. There was about 11 business leaders and their families and children, and, and we were taking them on a kind of marriage parenting retreat, so to speak, from San Francisco. We did the tourist thing, then we did, uh, went out into the sequoia trees, and we did seminars on parenting, and anyhow... We ended up in Los Angeles. It was awesome, awesome experience. But we were, I was ziplining these, in these trees, man. It was awesome. Oh, man, I loved it. And the leader that was kind of helping us, making sure that we were all, you know, tied properly and that we wouldn't totally fall, she was making some comments about the sequoia trees and, and how they, they, their roots don't go deep. The roots go maybe 10, 15, a little bit more, just very shallow, but they go out laterally 40 to 50 feet. And as they go out, they entangle, they, their roots entangle themselves with other trees, right? 
And so 350 feet, man, that's a tall tree. When the wind and the storms and, the, and, the, and, the, and it starts blowing, there's got to be something that makes them pretty stable, right? And their stability comes from their root system and how it's integrated with other root systems. And that's how they derive their strength. They're dependent on the other trees around them. And so it is even in the natural, like in our own spiritual walk. We, we, we are so, so self-sufficient. And we're good at this and we're good at that. And it's so easy for us to be able to just kind of go through the motions, right? And not be dependent on who we need to be dependent on. So Revelation 3, and we're going to start in verse 14 initially and kind of go through it. But there's an aspect of this that we have to, I think, would be helpful for us to understand. It says, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, these are the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. The angel of the church in Laodicea writes. So the Laodicea city profile it was a business hub. It was the diamond of the Roman Empire. It was mammoth. It was wealthy. It was self-sufficient. And here's a map that, says, that shows you kind of the layout, the island of Patmos, where it is. Here's the other churches that letters were written to in the book of Revelation. And Laodicea was perched up on a plateau. It was a city on a hill. And it was a, an amazing, amazing business hub in the Mediterranean. And, but 1,200 years ago, it was destroyed by an earthquake, and the land was totally abandoned. And here's a photo of it that was taken in the year 2000, a fairly, not too long ago, the year 2000. This is all that remained of Laodicea. But there were some archaeologists that really felt like, man, if we could just get in there, if we could just do some excavation, if we could just do some digging, I just feel like we would, we would unearth some amazing things. If this city is really what everyone says it was, it must be there, right? And so in 2000, the Turkish government was like totally no, 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 till finally they kind of gave up and relented. And in 2002, people were able to get into, the, uh, into this land area, and they began to do excavation, and mile after mile, they found this. They found remains of Laodicea, all flattened by the earthquake. Um, then they began to like a pop-up. For the last 15 years, they've been kind of putting Laodicea back together like a pop-up, and this is the beginning stages of that. And they're seeing just incredible things as they excavate. And we now know how wealthy this city was because of what we're finding. First off, they had two massive theaters. This one image here is one of the theaters. And to, to combine, they sat 20,000 people. They also excavated a stadium that you'll see a, a picture of it here in just a minute. But they excavated a stadium and unearthed a stadium that was the length of three modern football fields. It was huge. It was crazy. They also found five ancient agoras, agoras meaning American land, shopping malls. Amazing. Five large ancient shopping malls. 
By far, Laodicea was the richest city of the seven. And they were amazingly rich. And this is how. Through the excavation, we have found different means by which they had become so wealthy. And one was that they were a crossroads to two major trade routes. But they were a textile center. They, were, they had learned a way of breeding sheep and that produced black, glossy wool. And Laodicea was known for this. And people from all over the Roman Empire would come specifically to Laodicea to take out these black sheep, make wool, and they'd wear these prized, uh, prized coats of black sheep wool. And it was like, it was like a like star. And they were an incredible banking system. They were a banking center. They brought in gold. They, they had, in fact, they had the first checking account. They found in their excavations different um, parchments that had seals on it that they would turn these parchment, these certificates per se, into the bank in Laodicea that harbored all the gold. They'd be able to check out the gold. They'd be able to, and they wouldn't have to take the gold everywhere on their donkey and all that kind of stuff. They could just bank it. And it was one of the first banking systems in all of the Mediterranean. They were also a medical center. Here was a little thing, something that they excavated that had all kinds of, uh, all kinds of information identified with these etchings that talked about how people came from far and wide to get medical treatment. And they had come up with this Phrygian powder, uh, kind of a, a, a zinc eye salve for anything, you know, eyes breaking out and puffiness and all this kind of stuff. I'm not a nurse or a doctor, but they would come from far and wide, and they were so, so well known for their medicine. Their, the, the, the coins and everything that they minted, they had the names of two doctors inscribed on their coins. Now, John is on this aisle 60 A.D., around in that. And then 20, 30 years later, Laodicea has a, another, a, a, not another, but a massive earthquake that preceded the one that was 1,200 years from today. But it was, a, it was an earthquake that, that, again, leveled the city. But it was amazing how they pulled together as a city and they began to rebuild. And... They refused Roman subsidies, which was like, probably the emperor was like, you've got to be kidding. This is crazy. I've never, I've never had anybody refuse money. But they refused Roman subsidies, and they said to the Roman government, no, we're good. We can do this. We can handle it ourselves. We'd rather be sovereign. We'd rather be independent of you. We'd rather be autonomous from you and do it ourselves. Implication, right? There was this excavation. Tacitus, who was a Roman senator, made, made this comment, amazed by their ingenuity. He said, Laodicea rose from ruins by the strength of her own resources and with no help from us. And then there was people, citizens within La Laodicea. One of them was Nicostratus, who made this comment. I, Nicostratus, rebuilt the stadium, and there's a picture of that, that giant stadium, three football fields long. 
I, Nicostratus, rebuilt the stadium out of my own resources. And then there was a quote by Flaccus, a citizen in Laodicea at that time. And he says, I, Flaccus, restored these heated walkways at great personal expense. Their independence and their self-reliance was so great that the motto they had on their coins was Laodicea, the sacred and the autonomous. And then as the years kind of rolled by, they changed their motto on their coinage to read Laodicea, the autonomous. In our society today, which is more valued, the sacred or autonomy? Hmm? Autonomy, right? Seed, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It could be overheard in Laodicea. And they even found these sayings on, on, on different objects that they uncovered. We don't need a thing. We're good. And then Jesus kind of, he, he talks about that in verse 17. He says, you say I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Laodicea's spiritual problem was this. The delusion of spiritual self-sufficiency. Hannah, can you put that up? Laodicea's spiritual problem was the delusion of spiritual self-sufficiency. Even the Christians, it wasn't just a citywide, and they, they even have unearthed Jewish writings that were at the same time, the Jewish uh, neighborhood within Laodicea. It, it was the same thing. There was such a self-sufficiency. There was such a leaning toward autonomy. We are great. We are powerful. We don't need anything. And the Christians were getting into the same type of mentality in which they were saying to the God of the universe, hey, we're good. I'm good. I think we're all possibly in the danger zone, right? I mean, how many have been a Christian five years or longer? Oh, a lot of you. And I'm not saying it's just five years and older that deal with this problem, but we're all in a danger zone of being self-reliant, self-efficient, doing it in our own strength, right? There was a girl, a young, a young lady, a friend of mine, that you know, she, when she became a believer, and I, I remember uh, my Jesus come to moment, come to Jesus moment, and, and she said, you know, when I, when I first became a Christian, I, there was such a passion. Jesus was so first in everything. In fact, when I would even go into a Walmart parking lot, you know, I'd park, and then I'd just bow my head just real quick, and just, you know, 30-second prayer, I'd just say, you know, Jesus, I, I don't know who's in Walmart right now that needs you or needs an encouraging word, but I just ask you to lead me, guide me. You know, I think the, the essence of that is dependence, right? A dependence on the Holy Spirit. A dependence on Jesus. And I think that we, we, we might be in a place that I just mentioned in which we're, 
we're just really lukewarm in our faith. Maybe the joy is gone. Maybe your passion is gone. You're not feeling it anymore. You know, we, we're saved by grace, but we have, I think, a struggle, and we forget to keep living by grace, living dependent on his leading, on his guidance, how we can go a whole day, and at the end of the day, we look back at it and go, you know, I, I had my quick devotions, and even that can be dry, right, just because it's what I'm supposed to do. That's what Christians are supposed to do. Rather than a leaning really into Jesus, very slowly we start living by our own strength and just trying harder to do better. We become sluggish. We become dry. Because nothing about our faith is supernatural anymore. Used to be. Moments. But the reason that we're feeling what we're feeling and that we're dry and we're not, not focused is because our faith is not supernatural anymore. There is not a dependence. I don't really worship with passion. Why? My spiritual life is about my strength, not God's. You know, I need God to love God. I need God to help me love him more. I need God to help me worship him. I need God to help me serve him. I need God for everything, right? If I want to love, there is no way. When the Bible says that we're to love God with all of our mind, heart, so there is no human being on the face of this planet that in his own strength can do that. But yet we try to do it. I want to love God. I'm going, yeah. <laughs> there is no way that you can fulfill the great commandments of loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as you love yourself without his help. He must stir it up within you. He must shed abroad his love in our heart that we might love others and love him more than we love him now. Right? I need his help. So how in the world do we cure this self-sufficiency? How do we snap out of it? John, through the Holy Spirit, gives us symptom, a disease, and a prescription. The symptom. You know what's, what's interesting about, you know, as I, I just looked at this passage, what's interesting about Laodicea and the challenge that's given by the Holy Spirit is the fact that they that he didn't tell him to move out of Laodicea. He didn't say, get out of Laodicea because it's poisoning you. No, he, he said, stay there, but there's something that you can do on the inside, inwardly. There's, there's things you can do on the inside that changes you and thereby impacts your environment around you. How many have ever thought, well, if I just change, I just need to change a location. I just, I need to do something different. I need to change jobs. I need to change school. I need to change wives. I, I, I just need to change. 
But none of those things will do anything for you unless there's a change on the inside. It will follow you. Whatever you're struggling with now, whatever is the condition you're in now, don't think that if you go somewhere or if you change scenery or do whatever it is. I mean, young people go to camps in the summer, and for a week, dude, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's, yeah, and then two or three weeks later, it's like, where did it all go, right? Because for a season, it was, there was a, an intense focus, there was a dependence, there was a, there was a change, there was a turn of attitude, there, you were now becoming more dependent on God, there was a process of time, but then you just kind of let it go, we just let it slide, we just, you know, we become, again, we get involved in that self-sufficiency, that We've got to get it done. How in the world can we snap out of it? We're in this comfortable condition. Like Laodicea, man, they were, it was so comfortable. It was so relaxed. We have everything. We have all that we need. We're in America. We have, you know, we have food to eat. We have bills to pay. But God is providing. It just, we're not being challenged in a lot of ways. And, and how in the world can we somehow s- snap out of this, right? This lukewarmness. So the symptom. As Jesus, we got to see the symptom as Jesus sees it. In Revelation 3, 15 and 16, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. In other words, you're leaving a bad taste in my mouth for what you're doing and how you're living. The excavations have given us a little bit of insight into this verse that I think is very, very important. For all the riches that Laodicea had, the influence that it had, it lacked one crucial resource, and that was water. Water. Two neighboring cities, man, they were abundant in water. Hierapolis, I have a photo here, Hierapolis had amazing jacuzzi-like water, 95-degree water. People would come from all over, elaborate hot springs. People, and they're still there today. People can get in, soak. There was incredible healing aspects to this mineral water and this heating water. And then on the other side, Colossae, there was incredible refreshment. There was Spring waters, cold, amazing springs that were coming out of Colossae, but none of them were in Laodicea. And so the engineers of Laodicea came together and they decided we have got to somehow find a way to pipe in the hot springs of Hierapolis and we need to pipe in the cold springs of Colossae so that we might be able to benefit from those springs. And so for six miles of piping, man, either way, they would bring it in. But the sad thing was that by the time the hot water got to the plateau and the cold water got to the plateau, it was, it was lukewarm. It was really good for nothing because the hot water brought healing and the cold water brought refreshing. And what Jesus was saying to them was that, I wish you were hot. I wish you, I wish you were in a position where you could bring healing to people. Bring my healing to people. Or bring a refreshing word or, or an encouragement. But you're, 
You're doing neither. You're so identified with your culture. You're so self-sufficient that you're not making an impact. You're not healing people. You're not refreshing people. You're just neutral. And it's making me nauseous. It's kind of like, like Starbucks. Now, Starbucks has its cappuccino. Yeah. Good. I love cappuccino. I, I probably love coffee too much. Uh, doubt it. Okay. That was my son. Yes. And then there's Frappuccino. We got the cold variety, right? It's, it's refreshing. How many like Frappuccino? How many like cappuccino? How many like it all? Okay. All right. How many don't like any of it? Oh, look at you, non-committed. Okay. Oh, so self-sufficient are you. <laughs> but I don't think Starbucks sells tepicino. <laughs> I don't think that, I don't know about you, but lukewarm coffee just does not do anything for me. And what's bad about the, the lack of froth and the, the lack of, I mean, it is a collection agency of bacteria. Man, you leave that out for a few hours, dude, it collects fast. It's nasty. Mm -mm. Tepicino. I don't think Starbucks would sell much of Tepicino. It doesn't offer much healing. <laughs> I love the healing that coffee brings me. The refreshment. So self-sufficient they had become that they, Loyodicea, was powerless, passionless, purposeless. And it left a horrible taste in Christ's mouth. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think about, right? Hey, our church is mentioned in the Bible. Really? Yeah, but it makes Jesus sick. I don't know if that's one thing I want to put on the logo, right? <laughs> Makes Jesus sick. <laughs> no, I don't want to go there. Yeah. But what is lukewarm? It's room temperature, right? We, we begin to take on the temperature of the environment around us, the world around us. Christians, when we become lukewarm, we kind of just, we fit in, right? We don't stand out. We don't. We don't want to be zealous. Oh, no, 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 that, that stands out too much. We don't want to be seen as someone, hey, can I pray for you? You know, or, man, I need prayer. Will you pray for me? Or, we, we don't want to go to that level. Our actions are the same as everyone else when you're lukewarm. Our values, the same. Our thoughts, the same. Our media consumption, it's just like everyone else. Sit in front of the TV. If you're a student, probably not too much, or you're going to have good grades. But Jesus knew the persecution that was about to take place in the church. 250 years of incredible persecution, disciples dying, people being filleted with knives, hung upside down on crosses for their faith. Now, I don't know about you. Jesus loved them enough to challenge them that this lukewarmness is not going to get you by because the Roman government is going to end up turning on you and other people are going to begin to turn on you and it's not going to be good. 
And you're going to have to be prepared, and you're going to have to be ready. And I don't know about you, but the day and age in which we live, we have the shootings in Florida, and we have the political environment that we're in, and people hating, one, hating on one another. And I, I mean, it's crazy. The world is crazy. North Korea and all of the things that are going in the Middle East, it, there is persecution in the church. We are not being impacted by it as much as, obviously, the church that is overseas but it's coming. And where are you? So we have this symptom, lukewarmness, and the disease that's causing it is spiritual pride. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing, but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Spiritual pride is the, I'm good, disease. I'm good. I'm good, God. I'm good, Dave. I'm good. I don't need God. I mean, you wouldn't say that with, you wouldn't verbalize that. But is it possible for a Christian to go an entire day, an entire day, and live without Jesus? I think it's possible. He lives inside of you, of course. He goes with you wherever you go. But you can go an entire day and not live with Jesus guiding you, directing you, because you have not, because you have not. I really, I want him involved, right? So if the disease is spiritual pride and the symptom is being lukewarm, passionless, without purpose. What's the prescription? The prescription is verse 18. He starts out this. He says, I counsel you to buy from me. Can you say from me? Dude, that was, that was a revelation to Laodicea. No, no, I buy from this, barter, that, not quick money. And Jesus saying, the key is to buy from me. And I, I wonder if he was kind of reflecting on an Old Testament passage in Isaiah where it says, everyone who thirsts, can you say thirsts? Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I counsel you to buy from me. Buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And the currency of the kingdom is faith. Faith. Walking in faith. Living in faith. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. 1 Peter 5 reflects on this whole concept of gold refined in fire when he says, Your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, though tested by fire, may it be found to result in his praise and his glory. Your faith, standing in faith, believing in faith, trusting in faith, trusting not in your own abilities, though they are great, you're very gifted, you're very talented, you're very smart, you're very all of this and above. But we are nothing outside of a dependence on God. We need him to help us. 
We are not autonomous. We are sacred. So we fix our eyes not what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. This is the prescription to get your eyes on eternity, to live for eternity. Whether you work, whether you teach, whether you're in school, whatever it is, is that you get your focus on eternity. I'm living today for eternity. I'm living this week for eternity. I'm living my life next month, this year, for eternity. I'm living my future for eternity. It's all about Him. Being dependent on Him. Living for Him. Buying what I cannot buy out there from Him. Not changing locations. Not doing this, doing that. But coming to Him. This is Mission Sunday, and man, I'm so grateful to have a couple here with us, missionaries that we support, uh, Zach and Brittany Adams. I like to call them the Adams family. Yeah, that probably dates me, but anyhow, the Adams family, and wanted them to come and share, and they are really having to live a life of dependence on God for what they're doing, and and living a life of faith, and we have to stay on that cutting edge. And so, we'll see how long Apollos lasts. Uh, what a name. Don't you just, name, Apollos. Oh, my gosh. Yes. They're talking about you, dude. Yes. Hello, testing. Hi, my name is Zach Adams, and this is my wife, Brittany Adams. And like he said, this is my son, Apollos. He's a little over one and a half years old, and we're excited to be here, and thanks, Dave, for having us. So why did you decide to go into full-time ministry? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there's a few reasons. Personally, there, in, when I was in college, there was a, you know, an existential crisis you kind of always have when you're in college. You're like, what do, you, what do I want to do with my life? What, is, what does God want me to do with my life? And it took me a long time to figure out, you know, what calling is. In fact, it, I had to go into my master's degree before I even, re, you know, had a good definition of it. But um, what I kind of discovered is that you want to, your calling isn't like Pac-Man where you have little dots that you have to eat along the way. You know, pa your life living for God is more like living in a fenced area. Um, you know, when you follow his ways, you're protected from the outside environment. You can have, you know, when you have your dog in a fence, you can let him play however he wants in that fence so that he's protected from the animals outside like foxes or bears or whatever. Um, and so that is more of what it's like. So do something within the confines of, of, of what the, the scriptures tell us that we can do, um, but do something that you're passionate for. Um, do something that you're skilled at um, and do something that is needed. And so when you find the intersection of passion and your skill set and need, uh, then you, that might be where God wants you, at least for a time. And so Spain, we're, we're going to, I'm going to be an associate pastor at an international church in Barcelona and do pretty much everything a pastor does there. Um, there's not a lot of churches in Spain. There's only 1.6% Protestant Christians there. And so the church that we'll be working with, the International Church of Barcelona, has asked for me to come help. And 
that's where my passions lie. I don't get afraid to come up and speak in front of people. I enjoy studying the scriptures. I don't mind moving my family over to a new country. Um, so what's Brittany think about yeah, that? Yeah, what does Brittany think about that? I'd like to know. I am scared speaking, and I, yeah, but, <laughs> no. So he'll be doing the speaking, but we, um, that was one thing that we really talked a lot about when he was in school was what we each felt like our passions were and our giftings, and we wanted to find something that both of us could do together. And so um, it actually fits in really well for Spain because I love eating. And I love <laughs> cooking and having people over to our house. And so um, Spaniards in particular, like, they love food. And they love just, um, we were just telling the kids about their siesta. They like, you'll come home from like 2 to 5 and share this giant meal with your family all together. And, um, and it's a really good place that, you know, you can have people over and you can get to know them, spend time with them, build relationships with them, and, and have good discussions with them. So um, one thing for me, I've always just wanted my life to reflect who Christ is. Um, and so I've always wanted to be a mom and I love working with kids. And so I was like, yeah, I'll just be a mom and I'll train up my kids and they'll go tell everyone about Jesus because they're going to be bolder than I am. And so um, that's just something that we're, you know, in Spain, we're going to, I'm going to be a mom and I'm going to raise our kids to love the Lord, and we're going to have people over to our house, and we're going to cook and eat food together. And um, we just think that, you know, over the table, spending those times together with people that um, they're going to come to know who Jesus is um, through those times. So, yeah. I think you do quite well. I oh. think so, too. I mean, my cheeks are still <laughs> <laughs> But to answer your question maybe even a little bit more directly in terms of your sermon um, you know, we looked at our lives and, and we see our friends and we around us trying to climb the corporate ladder, for example, or we see, we hear from our teach, heard from our teachers growing up that what success was were go to college so you can get a good job and make a lot of money and then have a good retirement plan and have a big house and cars and clothes. And I mean, older, wiser people than us have told us that that isn't, that isn't what satisfies Especially Christians, they you know they'll tell us that it's only Jesus that satisfies, and um, you know you can even see that in examples in celebrities. Uh, for example, like Jim Carrey was a huge hero of mine growing up. I, I thought he was hilarious, and he just went into this deep dark depression. He's worth like three hundred million dollars, and he really doesn't have hope or purpose or identity in anything. And there are the the long list of celebrities. I'm sure you guys can name some yourself, but. We want to do something that has a lasting impact for the kingdom of God. And that can be missionary work or it cannot be missionary work. I think there's true value and ministry in ordinary life, in regular jobs, businessmen, doctors, school teachers, moms. All of that, as long as you're caring for creation and taking care of what God has created, is ministry. So I wanted to, that was a caveat. But um, we also, as missionaries, want to build something that has a lasting impact. And so growing up, uh, Brittany and I grew up in a tradition where we were told that, you know, God was going to come back in a flash and there would be tribulation and then we would go, all go to heaven eventually. But what I learned in seminary is that our ultimate hope isn't heaven. It's not to go play a harp in the sky. It's the new heavens and the new earth here that we will resurrect physically just like Jesus did and we will live physically on the world on earth and work for for Jesus when he descends and so um, a good metaphor for ministry whether it's a businessman or as a missionary is that we are building we are creating the stones or we are creating the 
uh, stone glass windows to a cathedral that ultimately God will build when he comes down and, and establishes his kingdom fully on earth. And so we have, whatever we do in Spain or whatever you do in life can have a lasting impact on that cathedral, that new heavens and new earth um, when God comes down because he's not going to blow up the world. He's going to fix it and heal it and enhance it. So what kind of, yeah, that's great. Awesome. Um, what, what, what kind of faith venture has this been trying to raise a budget? And they're going to be leaving soon. Uh, they got their 100% support raised, and they just need to get their visa, and then they're, they're going to be off and running. And That's correct. Yeah, so how is that? And, and you're going to be, uh, uh, you already are going to be a daddy again, yeah. or you yeah. are a daddy again. I'm a daddy again. We, yeah. Yeah. She, we, are, we just found out that we're going to have a little baby girl. So we're very excited about that. Oh, they got the boy and the girl thing. Already, yeah. So we're very blessed, and I'm so glad that Brittany can be a mom because I do believe that she is an awesome mom, and that is her calling, one of her primary callings. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, the, the faith aspect um, of being a missionary is definitely there. If It has required more dependence on God than any time in my life before. As an American, there's just something about being autonomous as an American you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you said, just work really hard. And at times when we've done the support raising thing, it's been when I've tried to pull myself up by my bootstraps, that's when we've had the most difficult time. But when we've really been dependent on God, really doused our, our support raising in prayer and in faith, that's when God has really blessed our, our time and, um, and gotten us there. I mean, we're at 100%, and it took a long time, but God was there, mm. and when we really gave it up to him, that's when uh, he came through for us. And, so, and there's other things, too. Moving to a new country, we're having to learn a new language. I speak some Spanish. Brittany will have to take quite a few classes. Um, you know, being away from family, that you have to really trust God to be your comforter when mm. your family's not there, and mm. there are, you know, thousands of miles over an ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff I can probably say. Well, I appreciate these are our missionaries, second place missionaries, and uh, attend second place when they're uh, able to, able, yeah. when they're not on the road raising their money. And they are, they're going to have a table out here in the foyer and would love to have you, if you could, just go by and say hi and, and if there's something that they can share and input to them. Yeah, we're so thankful that Second Place has partnered with us in prayer and financially and just to be there for support if we need them. And um, yeah, any connection you guys want to have with us, please let us know, prayer, financial, whatever, and we'll be out there and to talk. And I mean, we're at 100%, so we're not going like, to ask you for money. So we just really <laughs> want to get to know you. And um, it, it's, a, it's a fun ride. And um, so you guys have a great church. Really invest in here, plug in here. And the money that you give, I think, today goes to missionaries that you guys support or some of it. We're, we're challenging them. Challenging them. Yep. So I challenge you as well. <laughs> so, thank you so you much. Can you give them a hand? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Apollos. One is so cute. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So appreciate them. We um, outreach partner giving above your tithe. You know, anything that is given above your tithe or marked on an envelope for outreach partner uh, goes. If we have joy boxes there, you can give online. There's a lot of different things you can do. It goes to help support uh, people like the Adams family and uh, appreciate your gifts. You know, there's, there's so many things we can do in the strength of our own 
flesh. But, you know, the church also, we really want to provide opportunities to serve and to give. And we have the Children's Hunger Fund that we're going to be doing that we mentioned earlier. We have Kenya Trip. Um, we're raising money back there. And my house is full, full. But I confess now, I did steal one of the bags, blessing. I stole one of the bags with a little bit of muffin in there. Uh, and I have it in my pocket somewhere. But... Um, <laughs> But I'm, I'm confessing it now in front of everybody and God. So, um, but we just appreciate you giving. But this life-changing faith that we've been talking about, it, it, it flows out of just one place. Coming to him. If you're thirsty, you come to him. If you're in need, you come to him. He says in verse 20, he says, here I am. Hmm, hello. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person. He doesn't say I will eat with the, the people. I will eat with that person and they with me. Dude, what, what a privilege it is, right? There's a, a painting by William Hunts, that uh, famous painting of Jesus standing at the door. It's in St. Paul's Cathedral in London. And anyhow, there's can't see it on this particular image, but there's fruit on the ground and it's rotting. And there's weeds growing up, and you can see the tops of the weeds there. And he's knocking on the door, but you notice that there's no door handle, right? Because he's waiting. Jesus doesn't barge in, he just waits. And what sticks out to me is, and this is the big idea. This is the big idea. Jesus didn't say to the Laodicean church, try harder. You are messed up. You're so lukewarm. Try harder. Try harder. Come on. No, he said, let me in. He said, let me in. Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to the churches. So if the worship team could uh, please come to the platform. So what is the Spirit of God saying to you this morning? Are there some adjustments? Do you, you, have, you feel the symptom? Huh? Symptom, symptoms of lethargy, dryness. You know how hard it is when someone says, how you doing? And I said, I'm needy. You know how hard it was for me to get that word out of my mouth? <laughs> Let alone probably for them to hear me say it. <laughs> but man, we are needy, right? We need each other. We need God. Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Father, Holy Spirit, I cannot love you 
love you in my own strength. It's minimal. It's short-lived. I need you to love you more. I need you to help me worship you as you need to be worshipped, desire to be worshipped. Father, forgive us. Forgive us, forgive me for my self-reliance. My self-reliance that tries to work out my own salvation, my own strength. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Holy Spirit, we need you. Change us. Fill us, Lord. Holy God. Lord, we ask for your help in Jesus. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, matchless, mighty, awesome name. You know, I think there's just a, there's a fine line saying... I'm good to I'm undone. I am not sufficient in of myself. I need you. Will you pray for me? I need God. I need you to lay hands on me. I need, I'm needy, right? So just be open, honest, and, and thereby putting Jesus first. Putting Jesus first. And the verse that just seemed to just come down to me just in my heart as I was worshiping there was my grace is sufficient <laughs> my grace is sufficient we all need his grace can we just invite his grace right now grace. Maybe you need to repent and just say, God, I've, I've been so self-sufficient. I've been so at task, so trying harder and it's failing. I... Jesus, we, we need you. We are not sufficient in and of ourselves to make any kind of impact that brings true spiritual refreshment true spiritual healing to a very hurting society without you we are fruitless in our efforts so Lord we just commit commit again to you for your grace your power your strength your wisdom your insight your help Lord we just uh, yeah love you. I love you, Lord, so much. <sighs> Lord, we just, uh, again, commit ourselves to you in the mighty, matchless, wonderful, awesome, incredible, all-powerful, all-knowing name above all names.
Jesus. Jesus. Amen.